Hello and welcome. You're listening to Lore and Legend with your hosts Sebastian O'Dell and Rick Scott. Every week we bring you a legendary tale inspired by the rich traditions of world folklore and mythology. In this episode, Thomas and the Elfin Queen encounter their first obstacle on their journey into Elfland, leading the Queen to relate to him a dark legend of the Lancashire Carlins. This is the Buried Moon. Well, she rode upon her milk-white steed, and I held her waist behind, until we came to a river red that with our road entwined. What river is this, oh, said I, oh, please to me do say. This is a river of blood, she said, that is spilled on earth this day. And Thomas saw shapes in the dark that appeared to be drinking from the river. And he asked the queen what those creatures were and what was their nature. And the queen told him a story of the grim darks that wished death upon the world. As I heard told, it was just flashes at first, between the trunks of the trees, a soft radiance that winked at him through the twisting coils of mist floating out across the carland. He mistook it at first for a ghost light, a will of the wike, come to lead him into devilry, and so he turned away. But around him the night was full of evil sounds, the cries of things that weren't earthly. He was gasping, sobbing, desperate. He could see no way out of the marshlands, for the Carland in that time was a maze of black pools, of creeping veins of green water, of treacherous mools which sprayed out underfoot. And the traveller had set out to cross the Carland, but night had stolen in upon him. There was no moon in the sky, so the black around him was total. And out there, hidden from his eyes, he could hear them, the night walkers and the shadow crawlers, the bogles and the horrors, the grins and the dark dwellers. They chittered and they sloped, they stalked him. They had come ever nearer as the sun's light failed until now the shadows fell over everything and they had but to reach out to touch him. He could sense their hunger. He could sense their lust. They would hold him. They would choke him. They would drag him into the water and drown him if he let them. He stumbled. He slipped down. He sank up to his knees in the black water of the marsh. And though he scrabbled for purchase, he could find nothing, nothing to hold him fast. The light winked. It was there again. And this time, he cried out, and he turned towards it, searching the black for it, his heart beating in his chest. When it came again, it wasn't a glimmer. It was a bright and luminous ray. It broke through the thickly mist and it carved out a path that curled through the knots of bog pits and black trees in the marsh. The traveller scrambled up from the bog. He found his feet. He started to follow the path that the light showed him. In doing so, 
At long last he came to a township and a refuge from the wilds of the night. Well, for several days the traveller rested, rousing himself only for brief hours. But though he was thankful beyond measure for his deliverance, his dreams were strange and ominous. His head was full of visions, the chatter of the grims and the darklings. And it was a curious thing. At first he thought nothing of it, but the longer the traveller stayed in the carland, the more he sensed a growing unease amongst the folk. Whispers at first, but then it waxed into a thick anxiety that hung over all of their doings. For the folk of that town were expectant for the new moon coming. They put pennies in their pockets and straws in their caps to be ready for her. The moon, it was much beloved by the marsh folk. And they were always glad when the dark time was gone and the paths were made safe again as the evil things hid from her light in the shadows and in the waterholes. But days and days passed and the new moon never came. The stars, they still shone in the sky, but their light, it was lonely, like a brood of bright chicks abandoned by their mother hen. The evil things grew bolder and they pressed closer in toward the town folk and their housings, so that it was peril even to step outside the door past twilight. And this anxious talk was heard everywhere, round hearth fire, and in the garth and at the inn. And it was one night as the folks gathered round the great settle in the inn, the traveller heard them saying, Well, we went to see the wise woman who lives in the old mill, and we asked her to find out where the moon was gone. And she looked in the brew pot and in the mirror in the book, but she couldn't rightly say what happened to her. She said, if we hear of out, to come and tell her right ways. And hearing this, the traveller was startled. And he put down the pipe that he'd been smoking. He slapped himself on the knee. Oh, he said, I, I'd never thought of it, but do you know, I reckon I kens where that moon be. And he told them how he'd become lost in the bogland. And how when he was almost dead with fright, that great light shone out and he'd found the path that brought him out of it and to safety amongst them. So, with the traveller they all went again to the wise woman, and he told his tale. And not only that, the traveller said, but every night since, I've had the strangest and the blackest dreams. And in them a woman, she steps down from the sky and she puts on a black cloak and she pulls a black hood over her yellow shining hair. She walks to the edge of the boglands and she looks around, and she sees the water here and there, and the waving and the trembling mules and the great black snags all twisted and bent over, and she sees it is all dark except for the glimmer of the stars and the black pools, and then there's the light that steals out from under her own white feet. This woman trembles, she tightens her cloak and she begins to step as light as wind from tuft to tuft between the gurgling waterholes. And as she passes one of the deep black pools, her foot slips and she begins to slide toward it. 
She grabs with both hands at the nearby snag, but as she touches it, the branches twine themselves around her wrist and grip her so that she's caught fast. No matter how she pushes or pulls, she's held. She hears a cry then, and she turns toward it. And thinking there's somebody who needs help, she tries to fight with a harder passion to be free. But she can't get loose. She twists and she turns, and her black hood falls back from her shining hair, and the beautiful light illuminates the marsh all around her. Then comes the cry in the night again, but this time it's a cry of joy. And the woman fights harder to free herself and follow the sound, until she falls to her knees and the black hood falls over her head again. When that happens, out of the darkness they come. All of the evil things of the night screeching and howling, crowding around her, snatching at her and beating her. They shriek with rage, they spit, they sneer, and they snarl. They seem to hate her utterly. The witch bodies yell. How the book bears. Shriek the witches. Cry the bugbears. And they grab her with their bony hands and they push her down into the black water. They fetch a great stone to roll on top of her to keep her from rising up again. And they tell a will of the white to watch her, to make sure she can't escape before they can decide how to work their will on her. the wise woman she listened to the traveller's story then she looked long in the pot and the book again and she nodded her head I see what has happened the moon up yonder shone and shone and when she shone she lighted up the bogland so all around could walk upon them almost as safe as in the day but when she didn't shine out came the grims and the crawlers and the bugbears to do harm Oh, the moon, she heard at this, and being so kind and good as she is, watching for us all the night, she was troubled by it. She decided to see for herself how bad it all was, and so she stepped down from the sky, and the black snag caught her. That cry in the night was you, traveller, when you were lost in the box. And once her hood fell over her head again, the darklings all attacked her because they know her for their enemy, who keep them in their dark holes at night. Ah, but saying where she is buried, it's dark still, childer, dark. And I can't rightly see in my glass, but do as I tell thee, and may happen, you'll find her.
next night, as the day died, they all went out together, every man with a stone in his mouth and a hazel twig in his hand, and a feeling of dread that curled in the gut. And they felt their way along the paths into the box, fearing every moment a wrong step would plunge them into the black water, or some creature would spring upon them from the briars and the thistles. They could see nothing, though they heard sighings and flutterings in their ears, fancied they felt cold, wet fingers brushing over their ankles and their thighs. Go all of ye, the wise woman had said, just before the night gathers. Put a stone in your mouth, take a hazel twig in your hands, and say never a word until you're safe home again. Then walk on, and fear not, far into the night of the marsh, until you find a coffin, and a candle, and a cross. And then you'll be not far from your moon. Well, with only this riddle to guide them, they were all half amazed with fear and despair, for they understood not what they looked for. And the pinpricks of reflected starlight on the skin of the oily black pools was the only markers by which they could make their way around the marsh pits. But all at once, it was the traveller who looked up and found himself standing beside a great black snag, like the one that he had seen in his dreams. And they all looked down then, and there was a great stone, sunk halfway into the water. They realised the stone looked for all the world like the capstone of a tomb, a great coffin. And above it, the black snag stretched out its two great arms in a shape like a hideous cross. And there, between its boughs, was a thin wisp of light like the wick of a dying candle sputtering in the breeze. Ah, well, they all fell to their knees, and they all said an our father forwards because of the cross, and an our father backwards as a ward against all of the wild things in the dark. But they said it all in their hearts, knowing not to go against anything that the wise woman had said. And then they all waded into the water and they laid hold of the great stone. And they shoved and they heaved until the stone groaned and it tipped away. And the traveller saw a strange and beautiful face gazing up at them, glad-like from the water. And his heart was filled with wonder. But the light came so quick and so white and shining they all stepped back blinded. And the next minute when they saw again, there was the moon, full in the sky, bright and beautiful as ever, smiling down at them. Her light fell on all the paths around, and swept all the shadows back into the corners, the crevices, the burrows, and all the horrors that they contained. Well, the Carlanders, they were much relieved, and they rejoiced to have the moon once again in the sky, and they celebrated her return with music and with food and with dancing, and the traveller celebrated the moon's return right with them. But it was strange. When the folk asked him why it was he'd come to the Carland in the first place, and where he was going to, the traveller found 
He couldn't right tell them that, except to say, as he did, that in his dreams he saw a youth who slept always beneath the crown of a distant mountain. And every night the youth was visited by a woman who pressed a kiss upon his lips before stealing away again. And somehow he thought that he was searching all through the world for them, though every search for the youth or for the woman, he could not rightly say. said Thomas you must hold your tongue whatever you may hear or see for speak you a word of elfin land and middle earth you'll never more see so what was it that made you uh, want to do this story then I just really love the description of the nightmarish creatures that inhabit the marshes, the moorland, mm. um, and how they all pile on. Uh, <laughs> how they all pile onto the moon. Uh, I thought that was great. Some of the dark creatures that are described are called witch bodies. Yeah. Um, and again, that's like not not very commonly cited idea or creature. Mm. But again, you've got the kind of like elision between witches, hags, sorcerers. Yeah. Are they human or are they actually another of these kind of like darkling creatures? I added in the bugbear because bugbears are a, a type of monster, but there aren't really very many stories about them. Mm. Um, and I quite like I quite like the name. Um, yeah. I just knew them from the. From the, the phrase, you know, like oh, to have a bug, have a bug bear, to have yeah. a bug bear. So I wanted to, I wanted to put some actual bug bears into a yeah. story. Well, it's quite nice to use many different words because then you get kind of lots of different images going through your mind. And I definitely at that, the, the descriptions there get you know all the very kind of small vicious creatures mm-hmm. coming to mind. You know, it's considered to be quite an unusual folk tale. Are there other myths in, in, in British folklore tradition that contain the moon or sort of a, a moon spirit? Because it does, as you say, kind of smack of the kind of god pantheons of, of other mythological traditions, you know, Greek myth. Um, I'm actually thinking of um, Maori legend as well. Um, you have these kind of personified sun and moon, things like that. Which you don't tend <clears throat> don't tend to get in a in, in a British folklore tradition. You tend to get specific creatures as opposed to sort of personified bits of the earth and sky. Uh, this personification of the moon is not something that you really come across in other collections of folklore and literature. So much so that when it was first collected, some people kind of like doubted that it was real. Mm. Um, 
but apparently, you know, the scholars and researchers have checked up on it and they <laughs> seem to be convinced that, you know, it has bona fides. Um, it was uh, collected by a woman called uh, Mrs. Balfour uh, from the North Lincolnshire Cars Good on, uh, Mrs. in the uh, Ancolm Valley. And it came from a, a little girl, in fact, called mm. Bratton. Quite an original tale, but also is also very detailed in its originality. And mm. I think that a lot of that seems to be down to the imagination and the kind of precocious talent of this, this girl yeah. as a storyteller. When you say that, I now... It makes a lot of sense to me, because that description of all of the various creatures shouting their insults at the moon as they batter her down um, does sound like a child not, does sound like the sort of thing a child would focus on in terms of you know the fairies capturing the moon I'm not familiar with other stories that place the moon as an antagonist to the, the other folk that's not mm. something I've really heard before no no, it's also quite a nice idea of the moon as protectress, you know, as when you went out in the dark and unfortunate things happened, mm. principally because it was so dark. <laughs> <laughs> People fell in, fell off, fell into things, they, um, you know, uh, got into, had accidents, they vanished, they disappeared. Yeah. Oh, the fairies must have got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only explanation for why he broke his neck in that bog. <laughs> um, you know, they sort of embody the kind of malevolent aspects of nature, which is, and I do enjoy the sort of as well the evocation of the kind of the, the folk um, folk ritual as well. You know, welcoming the new moon. Uh, yeah. Music. Pen, pennies and straw in their caps and this kind of these references to these sort of old folklore's. It's got a very satisfying amount of um, kind of uh, superstitious acts, guards against dark powers. You know, there's all sorts of things people used to do to guard against witchcraft. You know, uh, hanging the evil eye over the door. Um, but uh, like when the villagers go out into the on into the moorland and they have to put a stone in their mouths. So. Yeah, for ages I was trying to figure out the significance of that, and then I realised it's probably just to stop them talking. Mm. They're not supposed to. Yeah, that doesn't make sense actually. <laughs> um, they've got the the hazel twig, which, uh, oh, yes, according to my uh, fairly basic research, was is. Uh, Hazel twigs were divining rods for, oh, for buried treasure. Right. Um, and that, that's interesting, actually. Focusing on the wrong element. <laughs> Hazel twigs. Uh, well, I did wonder if there might have been a folklore about about holding a stone in your mouth, but then I thought, no, it might just be, you know, a practical thing to stop them. It's very difficult to, <laughs> to, to talk with to talk, uh when you're, uh, you've got a stone in your mouth. Clearly the um, uh, elf queen should have tried that on Thomas. Because <laughs> that was the other thing it made me think of. You, you're not allowed to talk because then you won't be able to come back. Mm. Uh, if, it's almost like if you have dealings with the other folk, you will you know, slip into their world. Mm. Yes, it's like uh, balancing all of those requirements as well. There's a nice part of the story where they all have to say, Hail Mary. 
You're going to have to do it in their heads because they're not allowed to talk. <laughs> but yes, the, the, the thing about the, the twigs being divining rods as well um, is interesting because uh, you also have, uh, you, you've got that trinity that, that they look for as the, the, the stone, like being a headstone of the mm, coffin. Yeah. The, um, the tree looking like a cross. Yeah. Uh, but also the third, the third element being the uh, uh, the will of the white, the wisp, the, yeah. the sort of the, the fairy light, which appear. Uh, well, I alluded to them at the start of the story as well. You know these these uh, these ghost lights that are supposed to kind of appear in the dark and lead travellers astray. Yeah. Um, so you have that piece of folklore there and then it comes back later in the story and apparently I, I hadn't realised this uh, but again, you know, another thing that uh, Will of the Wikes might do mm. is mark the location of buried treasure. Treasure buried deep in the ground or in water and could be taken only when the fire was there. I tried to, uh, I tried to figure out where the village in this story might be and the only sort of obvious candidate near the river and Colm is uh, a medieval market town there called Glanford Brick. Glanford Brick? Yeah, um, and there have been lots of excavations where they've discovered ancient boats and things around there. So, it's, you know, it's a river and it's a floodplain. It's all been drained now, but that, that would have been where the bogs and marshlands were. Yeah. And uh, Glanford Brig would have been a crossing point and an access to the river, so it's quite a good candidate as the mm. sort of place that this that this traveller ends up. In next week's episode, we'll hear the tale of a young girl whose fate becomes entwined with the strange lands and its hidden people. You've been listening to Lore and Legend, Episode 5, The Buried Moon. Our story today was interpreted and performed by Rick Scott. Music in this episode was performed by Robert Bentall. Additional music and sound effects were sourced from freesound.org and freemusicarchive.org. You can find a full list of audio credits on our website. For news about upcoming episodes and more info about our stories and their sources in world folklore, find us at www.loreandlegend.co.uk or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Of Law and Legend. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, there are a number of ways that you can support us here at Law and Legend. We're committed to keeping the episodes in this series free of adverts, but if you choose to listen to Law and Legend through the Radio Public app, Listening to a few short sponsor messages between episodes will generate some modest sponsorship money for us. You can download Radio Public for free on the Android or Apple Store. If you don't want to listen to any ads, please consider supporting the podcast through our creators page on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash law and legend. Financial support motivates us to keep on telling our stories and may allow us to develop more creative content for our listeners in future. If you can't afford to support us regularly but want to drop a few coins in the hat, you can do so using our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash law and legend. And you can find all of those links on our website.